0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Apolog podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. This episode is brought to you by FetchClass.com. FetchClass.com is a teaching and learning system. It's good for teachers and students to get together in a video conference to teach and be taught. Go to FetchClass.com. Also, I want to let you know about my Amazon affiliate program. You can go to Apolog.ca. Click on the banner on the right which is an Amazon link. Bookmark that link, and every time you shop on Amazon, you'll be helping the show out. Also want to let you know about my Patreon campaign. Patreon.com slash Appalogue is a place to go and pledge to the show. If you think we're doing good stuff here, give a little something-something. Helps the show out. Good karma, man. I always hated that in the coffee shop. and you go in the coffee shop, and they are like, put money in that tip jar, and they call it karma. I don't call it karma. I call it tip. You're fleecing me. You're, you're going to spit my coffee if I don't do that. I am digressing. Hey, let's get to the interview now, okay? So without any further ado, let me introduce you to Mr John Bunch of the band. Lucky Scars, X of Sensfield, X of War Generation, X of Further Scenes Forever, X of Reason to Believe, and probably twenty other bands in the in the in there somewhere. John Bunch, everybody. I'm here with John Bunch of many, many bands. But um, John is a singer-songwriter of, of a band originally from Reason to Believe, Sensefield, Further Seems Forever, War Generation, and Lucky Scars. So you've been a busy, busy man for, what, 30 years now?
1: Uh, yeah, well, uh, Reason to Believe started in about 86, so... Um, I don't know how many years that is, but twenty nine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we we uh, my friends and I first started playing uh, Bad Religion covers when we were about fourteen, in about eighty four, and um, we would just kind of dick around learning Bad Religion covers, and then uh, practiced all the time every day after school, and then uh, Reason Believe formed out of um my guitar player chris evenson was taking a recording class and he ended up recording these songs uh which he asked me to sing on and that was maybe like 86 Mm -hmm. and then we formed reasonably out of that demo um and then we had a good run i mean we we got lucky in in a lot of respects because uh there's this record store in Long Beach called Zed Records that um, was kind of like a punk rock hub, and this guy Big Frank Harrison worked. He worked with uh, he worked at Zed Records. He also um, was working for Golden Voice, who put on all the punk rock shows in Southern California, and um, he'd been like a staple in the punk rock scene since the early years, since like '79. And then he ended up forming a record label called nemesis records so he put out our seven inch he put reasonably seven inch out and then we ended up doing a full length uh with him on nemesis and then we ended up touring too we actually that was my first tour in the 89 with uh, uniform choice and instead and uh, that was the first time i had gone across the country i was i was 18 yeah
0: and uh did you do the van minivan or was it a car
1: we were in a like a Jimmy, like a four, four runner type thing with a U Haul. Wow. Yeah. And it was just the four of us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's an SNFU tie in there.
1: Reasonably well, cause we used to go see SNFU all the time and they were one of our favorite bands. And we were lucky cause Reasonably got to play with SNFU. Uh, I think it was on their, their last tour before they broke up the first time in mm-hmm. 89. It was awesome cause we got to hang out with them and. We went to a party with them, and uh, afterwards, like a house party, <laughs> and, uh, and it was it was funny. It was It was in it was in Michigan, I think. It was no, it was it was either in it was in Nebraska or Omaha, Nebraska or something. And this kid, this kid had this house. His parents had just sold it, and he was having this house party after the show. And he he was just destroying his house, and we were <laughs> hanging out with us, you watching this kid like. Tear his house apart. It was funny I and mean, shit.
0: Yeah, I've known Brent and Mark and Chai since the early '90s. I toured with them. I was their sound man for many, many years. Um, oh, were you? Mid '90s. So played uh, on. I played on Fuelaba too. I actually played keyboards on it. One of the only. Oh, okay. One of the only keyboard players to uh, to be on an S <laughs> record.
1: That was the Epitaph years. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. They did. Yeah. I joined up with them sort of in the middle of Voted um oh. brent's actually s and a few are two podcasts ago. go so because they came through town and i hadn't connected with s and a few in all these years and chai's had some ups and downs more downs and ups and uh right. so he's he's looking sick and thin but he's still rocking out and
1: uh yeah they're on tour right now i think yeah
0: they're coming home from australia i think right now
1: yeah yeah did you see that picture of child bloody
0: yeah Somebody threw it's a around, yeah, yeah,
1: that's it's on brutal. all over the place. Yeah, he's like like the greatest frontman ever, you know.
0: He still is, you know. Like I, I got a hand, you know. He's just unbelievably unstoppable, and uh, it's. I don't think it's a cliche to say that he'll probably will outlive us all somehow, some way. His body's gone through so much abuse.
1: I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, So it must have been cool starting a band as a teenager. And have it just turn into something like your career. That's what set you off in the um, in the direction you're in and still are today, right? Like- right.
1: I mean, I think the 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 thing that was cool about it was we were, you know, we were all friends, and and um, that we were able to, you know, tour and put out records and make a living off it for a long time. You know, I mean, we always would have odd jobs here and there just to in between stuff but uh that's not that uncommon Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i mean i just i was just i was happy because recently even sensefield we're both a band of of friends from the south bay of los angeles like we grew up out out near lax um you probably landed there before Mm -hmm. um and we're we're a south bay hardcore band and then a south bay post hardcore band and I mean, it was it was cool to be able to be in bands with guys you have known your you know your whole your whole life essentially, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's like a neat community that punk rock is still a community that people yeah. they seem to have this unspoken high five, and there's always a uh, camaraderie of sorts, and even the old you know the ones that made it big, big, and then come back to um, they come back yeah. to punk rock, and and its ethics that were formed as a you know as a teenager and everybody trying to help each other out and I think do you think that's like a throwback to what 80s metal was right because 80s metal was very self-serving and very out of control with substance abuse and parties and
1: yeah I mean I don't to be honest with you uh I was not into metal at all I mean I never I you know when I was a kid kid I mean I'd listen to like Sabbath and ozzy and uh acdc i don't know if you call them i mean they're rock i don't know if you call them like metal metal but and you know i dug a little iron maiden maybe but i i just back in the 80s in the early 80s i mean you didn't if you were into punk that's all you really listened to and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know you wouldn't get caught dead listening to metal you know (laughs) in the early 80s you know what i mean so i i kind of i stayed away from a lot of that uh just because you know, I mean, you're supposed to be open-minded and, and, you know, yeah. accepting of things when you're punk, but it was just like that back then there was a divided line and, sure, yeah, you know, you yeah. saw a meddler across the street, you would end up fighting for just because he was a meddler and you're a punker, you know? Yeah. But so I never really, I never really followed too, too much of uh, what was going on musically in the metal arena. You know, I mean, Doug Motorhead and all that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, but you know, I guess what you're saying is, uh, you know, were those bands? I mean, all they were talking about was, you know, girls and excess and yeah, yeah. partying. And, yeah, it was.
0: It's more image. It was more based on how cool can we look and you know what are we well, gonna get? Like, in?
1: Yeah, like yeah, like Poison and all those bands were pretty ridiculous, but people <laughs> love them. I don't know. Yeah. That's, crazy
0: i think it's all the little brothers of metalheads people like look at their brothers and go i'm not really it's not my thing man that's not my thing you know were yeah. you ever did you ever ever have your new new wave phase like your split ends well, and
1: well the the thing with southern california uh, you know when when i was in the sixth grade which was 1980 uh the the radio station k-rock started it was like 79 or 80 yeah and so um, we all listened to uh, K-Rock when it came out, but we didn't really understand that it was a whole new wave of music. You know, it was just a new radio station, and then you kind of picked up on the fact that there was this new scene. And so listening to K-Rock in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, you, you actually heard punk rock too. Rodney on the Rock had a radio station, and he'd play he'd play like the circle jerks and he'd play the vandals and uh sex pistols the clash and uh you know um so you would you would hear these bands but like we were too young i mean we were like nine and ten years old so we didn't really understand what was happening you know Mm -hmm. like in the big picture because it was so underground still yeah you know i think he had to be kind of older to figure out what 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 was going on, you know, unless you had an older brother that was like buying records and telling you, like, this is this, mm. you know, mm. check out the germs, check out the class, check out, you know, these, these, uh, and we did in a sense have an, uh, an older friend later on, our friend Mike Acosta, uh, who was like three grades older than us. And he started to uh, make us mixtapes, like, like just cassette tapes of records like Minor Thread and, and, uh, and that's when, like, right around the same time, when once we started listening to punk, that's all we would listen to. We tried to buy every record we could, you know. And then we didn't start going to shows until probably 84, I think, because um, we were so young, you know, we are 13 years old. So, you know, we didn't drive, and so we were just bumming rides and trying to get to shows. <laughs> but, but, yeah.
0: It's a different time than what it was up here. Up here, we had our yeah. alternative radio station, but it was... It was, uh, it didn't happen till like the mid eighties, but we never had a K rock to play with. And so our, so yeah,
1: we would hear hear like all, you know, Adam and the ants and, uh, all that stuff. We were really young, you know, um, trying to think of who else, but like Billy Idol or whatever. And, and, uh, and then plus, and, and then, you know, all that stuff, once we got MTV, all that stuff was on MTV too, you know?
0: Yeah, it's true. It changed a lot of things for musicians. That's for sure. Um, yeah once reason to believe ended and then you went into sense field um was it a natural thing was it just sort of i'm done with reason to believe i'm going to move on is this uh well
1: i mean it was kind of you know it's it's weird because it is i know it's hard to imagine but the punk scene was pretty dead by the end of the 80s i mean it 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 evolved into that you know the hardcore scene mm-hmm. which had little to do with you know it had its roots in punk, i guess but um you know punk was pretty much i don't know it was it's hard to say i mean it it's funny to say that because two years later like ninety one or ninety three green Day and mm-hmm. offspring and nirvana that we were supposed you know yeah they were, i mean obviously were punk bands <laughs> blew up, but just the scene itself, like after going on tour and I mean, all the punks were gone. It was weird. And, uh, but the thing, the real reason I wanted to do something different was because in Los Angeles, the, the punk scene was so violent and we had all these gangs and it, it turned into like a prison yard. You know, these shows were like just gangs beating up each other and the skinheads and, and it was so violent, and and I just wanted to do something. I wanted, I wanted to cultivate and help create something new for the the scene that we were a part of. So I mean, you know, they they, they started calling us emo, but uh, we were like a post-hardcore band. We were a band after punk, after hardcore, but we were punk rock kids still you know and and i just wanted to be a part of a scene that was not violent that um we could write whatever music we wanted to write and Mm -hmm. uh you know we did all the same things that we did in reasonably we put out our own records we played with all of our friends bands you know like farside or you know game face or uh you know all of our all of our friends and uh but you know, we just we wanted to start something new, um, and I I I think we uh, we helped to contribute to a new scene, and it was it was a, it was a it was a an extension of the hardcore scene. Um, it was new, and it was a scene. It was it was like punk, the punk scene where everybody knew each other's names. Uh, we all the bands were friends, you know. Yeah. It was. Definitely. It was yeah. a scene, and it was yeah. a rad scene. You know, it was a really good time for music. You know.
0: Yeah, I remember in my earlier days of we were considered a post-hardcore band as well, and and going and playing with bands in Chicago like Los Crudos, who are like an Hispanic hardcore band, but they got it. They understood like, hey, we're all in this the same. We're all you know. There's such a a feeling of acceptance, and you're playing some crazy anarchist bookstore, playing like power pop songs and in post hardcore right. songs and people are, are into it. It was just, I don't know if that can happen today, which is a, a bit of a sad, I think we've all gotten into our little
1: yeah. niches. It's hard to say. It's gotten, yeah, it's hard to, it's the, the underground post hardcore scene or the punk rock scene is turn is taking a, taking a turn for the surreal, you know, like yeah. we don't, you don't know, how can punk rock be top 40 radio you know it's just weird like it's like who knows what it is anymore you know
0: and we're also in a time today that if you're a good band and word of mouth is as important as it was back then only you're not going to shows it's like hey check this band out you know i saw this band on youtube they're really awesome check them out you know and that is kind of the new way and the new way of punk's networking you know as well as everybody yeah. you know and yeah, I mean, you, Sensefield went on to about what, 95? 2000?
1: Yeah, 2001. Yeah. 2000, I think about 2001. Yeah. Yeah. We we're to, like close to 13 years or something like that.
0: I remember hearing, um, I guess, the self titled album at the Jason Records house that we were talking a little bit about before.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And somehow he <laughs> had it
1: yeah Yeah, he's a good he's a great guy is
0: he do you see him around
1: i haven't seen him i don't i don't know where he is someone someone was telling me he might have moved down to san diego i don't know i don't know where he's at
0: he's good he he was was
1: doing shows though like he he was doing shows at the foothill i think uh after i i really don't know what happened to him
0: very solid guy we met him over the maximum rock and roll magazine book your own fucking life and we just yeah. called him up out of the blue and he's like sure come on down you're canadian yeah. what 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 could possibly go wrong you know <laughs>
1: right, right,
0: right he's a sweet guy yeah
1: did you guys uh did he take you over by the descendants headquarters and all that stuff
0: he took us to alfredo's i remember going to alfredo's um yeah. didn't take us to descendants house but he took us to like i think at that point the sst uh, um store had just opened or maybe was it London,
1: or
0: i think it was on London. sunset on sunset oh yeah, okay. I might be thinking of a whole different era. I'm too oh, okay. I'm a, little fa- a little foggy with all that stuff. Yeah, but...
1: no, I know. It's hard to remember, man. Yeah. It's been so long. Huh? I know their offices were in San Pedro, I think, for a while, and then and then maybe in Long Beach, too. I don't remember.
0: So playing in California is a whole different experience to playing anywhere else in the world because you can basically tour California. <laughs> There's so many places yeah. to play, huh? Does that still exist yeah. today?
1: Uh, I would say so, yes. I mean, there, you know, San Diego... Uh, Orange County, Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, you know, they can go up to Northern California, like Berkeley. And I mean, so yeah, you could do a good run in California alone.
0: So when, um, Sensfield had like a little problem, label problem, huh? Like in the yeah. late nineties, was that when? It, right.
1: Yeah. Well, when we, so we ended up doing three records on revelation and then we signed to Warner Brothers. And then at the point that we signed to Warner Brothers, everybody at Warner Brothers got fired. And so, um, essentially they cleaned house and then a lot of the bands that were on the roster got let go. And we were just part of that, you know, we were working on a record and, um, we just got caught up in the, in the, the times, you know, um, it happened to a lot of bands, a lot of my friends' bands. And, uh, and so then we ended up, uh, regrouping and our guitar player, Chris recorded the Tonight and Forever record himself. Well, I mean, he produced it, and uh, and then we ended up releasing it on Network Records, which is a Canadian label mm-hmm. out in uh, Vancouver. And so then that's when we kind of got rolling again, and we did two records with Network, and then we just kind of called it a day after that. So
0: mm-hmm. was it the the sort of you had a five year break there or something? Wasn't it between between releases so we did
1: build, yeah we did building and then and then that was like what 96 yeah. and then when we were it wasn't a break like we were working and we were touring yeah. yeah you know we were touring consistently and we were just trying to get the record done with warner and it just was it was uh just a a shitstorm, storm you know like we <laughs> couldn't we went we went from like being able to re- record and release our own stuff to, you know, consistently putting records out on revelation. And then it was just too big of a machine to be on Warner brothers. And we couldn't, we just couldn't do anything. Like we couldn't Mm -hmm. make a record, which is kind of weird, but, and you know, some of it was us, some of it was the label. And uh, we just ended up getting out of that and then went back to making the record ourselves. And Chris did it himself essentially. And then we, you know, but it just took, yeah, it took like between touring and trying to get the record done with Warner, it took like five years. So yeah, that definitely hurt us, you know, it, mm-hmm. we took too long, you does, know what I mean?
0: Does it take a little wind out of the sails when you're, when you're trying to keep the oh, yeah. ship rolling, you know, I know yeah. a lot of bands too. I mean,
1: yeah, it was just, it was hurt. It was definitely hurt. It hurt us, you know, it hurt our momentum. And I mean, who doesn't want to just put out a record and tour, you know, and when you get bogged down like that and it's it's definitely uh, it definitely hurts your morale and it was just you know fans move on they tend to think about other bands and and they tend to forget about you you know and so it yeah it hurt us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. big time you know.
0: Yeah, Network Records. I've worked for a few bands that were uh, managed by Network, actually. One of them being Trouble Charger. You probably don't know these bands. But you, I, I know
1: Trouble Charger. I yeah. know, yeah. And the other one and is uh,
0: Some41. It's the other band I worked for for two years, about. Doing sound? Yeah, tour managing a sound. 17 and 18 year olds.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that must have been different.
0: It had its moments. It had its moments.
1: Are you still friends with them? Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, those guys is are it- so loyal, so cool. Uh, Is the
1: singer still sick or is he okay?
0: No, they just went to South America, and uh, Darren Pfeiffer from Goldfinger was playing drums. Apparently,
1: oh okay, yeah, they
0: uh, they reformed. They got Dave Bach back in the band, who is their original guitar player, and I think Tom is from Gob is still playing. So they have three guitar players. So I'd love to hear. Yeah, Tom's awesome. Gob actually coming to coming to Toronto. They're they're still playing. Yeah, I like Gob. Yeah, they were great, huh?
1: Friends with the dudes in Gob.
0: They were part of the network too. I think they were part of the network.
1: Yeah, yeah I like. God.
0: Yeah. So, did you do any of the uh, Warp Tour stuff? Was that sort of a little bit before you? Yeah. Or
1: no, we did uh, Warp Tour '96. Oh, ah, okay. I think it was either '95 or '96, but yeah, it was a good year. It was, you know, uh, Mighty Mighty Boston's, Fishbone, No FX, yeah. Pennywise, yeah. and uh, uh, Rocket from the Crypt, Red oh. Five. It was a really really excuse me. It was a really fun
0: year. Yeah, I did the one with SNFU in ninety five in Toronto and wow. it was um oh crap, who was it? Orange nine millimeter, I think quicksand. It was quicksand. Red yeah. red five. They were they were there the first year too. Who else? That German band Weaso? Remember them? Yeah. Yeah. The Weaso guy actually looked at the at the at the, the set times for the bands and he yeah. looks at Brent Belke and me and goes, um, SNFU yeah. Germany, they so little, they so little, and he did like the finger motion, like so small. Yeah. And yeah, Brent's yeah. like completely like, no, no, we're really, we're we're, we're popular. Come on, yeah,
1: yeah, good. Yeah. That
0: was good times. So, um,
1: yes, well, you got to be stupid to not like SNFU. and yeah. And the, I mean, the, one of the greatest bands live ever, you know.
0: I think they're the granddaddies of uh, skate punk, at least. Yeah, you know, I mean, that sort of puts you in the, also the the forerunners of like post hardcore and emo before emo had a name. I mean, bands like semi Am, Texas is the reason you guys game face. All those bands were holding a flag.
1: There was a big scene, man. I mean, it was actually all across the country to, to be honest with you. I mean, there were bands all throughout like Chicago, Milwaukee,
0: Midwest for sure. Midwest. for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Midwest. There was a big scene, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of where it started really, you know, the, uh, that, uh, the braid sound and the, you know, that stuff. But, uh, no, I still have a warm spot in my heart for like Sam I am records, and they still put records out, and it's yeah, it's very Sam
1: cool. I am, yeah, I mean, we toured with them too. I mean, they were just I, well. See, I met Jason when he was in Isocracy, so uh, reasonably played with Crimp Shrine and Isocracy up in Northern California, and that's when I first met Jason, and uh, and all those dudes, all the Op Ivy dudes, and and uh, we got to play with them and. I mean, we we're still, we we're all still, I, mean, I was still in high school. I don't know. Jason, I think, is my age. I mean, he was probably still in high school, you know? Yeah. But yep. that's how small the scene was, you know?
0: Yeah. It's like playing in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So we were in about 2001 now. So between 2001 and Further Seems Forever, what was it, two years, three years between that? Were you in anything between?
1: No. Um, we I think Sensfield ended around 2002 maybe but I mean it was about a year and then further further had called and uh, they were saying their singer left and Jason Gleason had left and then uh, they asked me if I would be interested but um, they were working on an album they had a they had a an album of music but no lyrics or vocals and so they sent me, they sent me the music and then, uh, I ended up demoing a few songs cause I actually liked the music a lot. It was actually really nice. Mm-hmm. And then I demoed a few songs and sent them back. And then they, they, they said they wanted me to sing on it. So I, I ended up, um, writing the record, uh, and then flying out and recording it in Florida. And, uh, the, the weird, the weird thing about it was I, I had written, I had demoed two songs from the record. And then when I flew to Florida, I had to write the rest of the album there while I was recording it. So (laughs) I actually wrote the record as I was recording it. And we recorded about a song a day. So I would just, I would write the song and then sing it. And then at night, uh, when we were taking a break, I'd write the next song. And then the next morning I'd record it and then write the next song that night and then record it the next day. And then I ran out of time. and the, we had one more song to go the last song, which is called for all we know. And I, I hadn't written anything for it. And then, uh, I ended up just ad-libbing that whole song.
0: What is this hide? Nothing we're talking about too? the, the album. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. The last song is just a total ad-lib. Yeah. No way. Well, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, I yeah. would never have known that. And now yeah. what year was that too? That was 2000. That was
1: 2003. I think. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I guess over 10 years ago, crazy.
0: I know. I remember. The band,
1: p- when I recorded it, the band was in a different city. They were in Fort Lauderdale. I recorded it in Orlando. Oh. And so I recorded it by myself and I would just email them the songs. <laughs> yeah. So they weren't even there when I recorded it. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's crazy.
1: Then they would call. They would call and then we just wouldn't answer the phone.
0: <laughs> it's like the boss is on the phone Tell them I'm, uh, I'm, be- I'm working very hard right now yeah. getting this album done.
1: Who I want to hear about it.
0: I remember finding that album. On, I found the song Light Up Ahead on uh, on YouTube and the imagery and the, uh, if anybody wants to go, go YouTube that video and you can press pause and go watch this video.
1: It's like an animated video, yeah.
0: It's a digitally, it's a computer animated video. Kind of, I would like to say, it's, it's ahead of its time based on what people were doing. What was the story behind that? Do you do you know how that all came well,
1: together? About how the video was made, or just how what the story is about the video? Like this, yeah, like he's like looking back on his life or whatever.
0: Yeah, and then uh, uh, yeah, and but the whole idea of how that the way it looks, yeah. there has to be a technique that. Yeah,
1: I don't know what they did to you know. I'm not because you know I don't. Yeah, I'm not a graphics guy. Yeah. I don't know what they did, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know how they did it, man. I don't know. Yeah.
0: But if you watch this video, I still get to the end where he looks at himself as a baby and yeah. it's something that just kinda sad, yeah. It clicks this thing in me. Well, it's both. It's bittersweet, you know? Like you've seen you've seen yourself and you say, Oh, that's me. That's that's gonna be yeah. me. That was me seventy or eighty years ago and this is
1: looking back on his life, yeah.
0: It's unbelievable and Obviously, there's got to be some tense of a, a Christian or some sort of afterlife or faith-driven...
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, not particularly the re- religious, but yeah, there's definitely like, you know, trying to, you know, hopefully you can, we can all, uh, like, hopefully it doesn't take us to the end of our lives to look back and, you know... Uh, <laughs> wish we had done something differently or, you know, or, you know, you want to, you want to try to live your life and make good decisions for yourself and for your family and be a good person. So hopefully it doesn't take the end of your life to discover that you should have been a good person. I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of, and you know, I mean, who doesn't want to believe there's something better out there, you know, that there's some hope for something that there are good people and they're you know, something, there's something good in, in, in the world, you know?
0: Sure. And I have no, like I said, I have no problem with anybody who has a belief system because if it stops you from doing something evil and it makes you, allows you to make good decisions, go for that. Because that's what we're all trying to do right on this, this, this big ball. We're trying to make sure that everybody, including ourselves is happy in life, you know? And that is, you know, that's the message I got from the, uh, from that video because I thought, oh, okay, he's seeing himself, you know, but that whole part, I can't even, I can't describe it. I watch, I actually texted on the uh, comments and I'm like, why does this make me tingle? What's, what is going on here? Did they put something in the video that
1: m- yeah, makes you. some t- subliminal, some subliminal thing.
0: It's insane. Well, that, you know.
1: Yeah, that record, I, I like that record when I hear it because it's, you know, to me, at least, you know, I don't. I don't really like talking about myself in in this sense, but like I feel like it's the like it's a very mature record in a weird way. Like it's an adult rock record almost, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. like a mature. Like I felt like I finally like sound like a a man. You know, <laughs> like I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs>
0: I also really enjoyed the drumming on it. The drumming is yeah it's like somebody said you know that pattern you played two bars ago don't play that pattern again play something different you know like so it's just natural way of drumming obviously because uh yeah it's all pretty wacky stuff and uh but um, i really enjoyed that album and i think everybody should probably go and enjoy that album too yeah man so moving on from that that was so was that always sort of considered a temporary thing or was this something that was going to go on
1: you know yeah it's weird uh you know when I when I joined I mean we they even said, well, we probably won't tour, and if we do it won't be much and so I mean I was happy to be back recording and writing again and um, that was a big part of why I wanted to do the record because I got to write the lyrics and the vocals and everything, and I wanted to be creative again and then and then we ended up touring for three years really you know fairly consistently we went to Europe and Japan and and um, and then you know I I, I was friends with Chris Caraba, the original singer for *The Scenes Forever*, who sings for Dashboard and mm-hmm. Twin Forks, and um, his best friend is one of my best friends, and so I've been friends with Caraba and this and Dan Bonebreak for many years. And um, you know, Chris and I and Dan and I were at lunch, and Caraba was just like, you know, I want to, you know, we had, he said something about wanting to get back to doing a record with further and then so and and i was i was you know it's his band you know i mean he mm-hmm. started it and and i just kind of felt like it was time for me to bow out and then he ended up you know bow out graciously i it, it's it's awful being the third singer of a band i'm, I'm gonna be honest with you it, it's like like gary sharon of van halen you know you're just, you're, <laughs> you're, you just you it's just it's awful like you know you you're constantly compared to the first two, you know, Caraba's uh, you know, 10 times better looking, you know, Jason was a stronger performer in a lot of ways, uh, on stage. And it's like, and I was older and, you know, I'm a big dude, I'm six foot six and, you know, it just, I'm not putting myself down, but it just, it just was like kids come out and they see this older guy and they're just like, well, who's this dude, you know? And, sure. uh, You know, and um, I don't know, I just, I I didn't, I didn't ever like being the third singer. I would worked too hard for too many years in other bands to have to be compared to anyone. And although Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the touring and I enjoyed the playing the songs and playing live and, but I mean, I, I don't know. I just, it's not fun being the third singer of a band. It's not fun being the second singer of a band, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, we ended up doing that and then that ended and then, you know, Caraba ended up coming back to further to do the album, Penny Black and, uh, and Rise Records put that out. And then now Jason, the second singer is back with further doing shows. (laughs) And so the running joke is that I'll be back doing uh, a tour after Jason, but, um,
0: you missed the 10 year anniversary though of hide nothing well,
1: more than likely. That's not going to happen. And so, that's okay. I mean, I am I love the dudes and I'm friends with them and, uh, anyway, so we ended up doing that. And then one of the, one of our, our roadies, this guy, Brad, he, I think when I met him, he was like, he, we took him out on his first tour as a roadie. He was like our merch guy or something. He became one of my really best friends. One of my closest friends, all the touring we did together and uh so he and i um stayed in touch throughout the years and then he would send me songs that he was working on and so then we we ended up kind of compiling these songs that we were writing together and then that ended up being the war generation record okay um and then rise records uh craig erickson from rise had written to me asking me like if i was doing anything musically and i had just Brad and I had just compiled these like 12 or 13 songs and um, we sent the demos to Craig Erickson from rise. And he was like, let's, let's do it. Let's put it out. So we put it out, I guess in 2013, maybe two years ago, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And we did a tour on that. And um, Brad and I are still working on songs. Now we have like, I don't know, five or six songs that we're working on. And, um, he, he's in another band called, uh, mainly in the Sons of Disaster. So he was busy doing that. And while he was doing that, I started, um, well, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there's a, the Orange County hardcore band, Ignite, um, asked me to fill in for their singer, Zoli. Zoli was singing for Pennywise and he heard his back on a tour in Europe. And Ignite had a tour, um, lined up and they, they were leaving in a week and they're like, dude, our singer's getting back surgery. Like, can you, you want to learn like 18 songs in a week and come out and fill in for Zoli for a month. And so I ended up doing that. And, uh, which was awesome. It was like, it was an awesome tour. And I forget what year that was. That was probably, fuck, I don't even know. But anyway, um, I became very close to the Ignite guys and the guitar player Nick and I started working on songs, and so that's that's what the Lucky Scars project is. It's me, it's Nick, and I, mm-hmm. um, and we have this EP where we recorded and we're putting out in uh, in a couple months. So
0: I saw that you got you got shirts before you got an album. That's that's yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> it's just for fun, you yeah. know. Yeah, uh, yeah. We get a couple shirts going, and and uh, the records recorded. We got. St- we got uh, Jim Monroe, who did a lot of uh, Orange County bands. He did the Game Face stuff. I think he worked with Farsight. He, he does the C.J. Ramon stuff.
0: Oh, with Steve Soto.
1: Yeah, with Steve Soto. Yeah. And so Jim recorded the Lucky Scars EP, and, um, and uh, Stefan Egerton mastered it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to come out on Spartan Records in, I don't know, either like November or something like that. So it's a five-song EP. It's four-song, seven-inch, five-song digital.
0: Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Do you have plans for possibly taking it out? Or are you going to... What is this?
1: We want want to. We certainly want to. And um, we want to get the music out first, obviously. Uh, And then we'll probably play around here and then look into trying to get over to Europe if, you know, fingers crossed, you know.
0: What's the, um, it's been so long since I've played in Europe, but what is the, uh, what is the feeling over there with booking festivals and shows and, or how is, how, what's your sense on it?
1: Huge. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. Bigger than ever. I think. Oh, wow. Cool. The, festival, the festivals are just huge. Yeah. There are a lot There's of a, them. A ton of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I remember, um. I played in a band called Foursquare and we were on Bad Taste Records, which is um, Last Days of April, Danko Jones. Who else? Trigger Happy were on that label. I love
1: Last Days of April.
0: We went over and managed to play Grose Rock only by Fluke. Um, Right. (laughs) uh, Because my band filled in for Trigger Happy uh, because they had some problems. They couldn't get on a plane. So um, going over there was a whole eye-opening, amazing experience. You feel like... um, like a better class citizen for some reason. I don't know why, you know, you feel like people appreciate it more the music. Yeah, They really do. Yeah. And I think it's, I always say this, but I think it's the extra thousand years of knowing how to read, um, you know, knowing six languages. Yeah. Like, you know, the whole idea of like looking at art and appreciating it and going, Oh, I can, I can, I can get into this, you know, and
1: surviving the bubonic plague, you know? Yeah
0: and Wait, we, I mean, who doesn't want to
1: party after surviving the bubonic plague
0: exactly and and over here all we had was lineups of like people with muskets and like right. raccoon tails like savages fighting savages right. there's no time for punk rock then right. at all at all right. man well um i re- yeah so lucky scars is coming out on spartan
1: records out of seattle
0: okay cool John Bunch thank you so much for coming on the show thank you Simon your music has been very inspiring to me since the early 90s up until this very moment
1: so uh well I appreciate it and I appreciate you taking the time to spend uh, going over you know all the bands I've been in and it means a lot man you know mm-hmm. I I've worked hard and I appreciate that you're interested and in, uh, you know all that good stuff so thank you Simon awesome okay right. talk to you soon yeah
0: John Bunch, everybody, of the band Lucky Scars. Lucky Scars. I always want to have a radio voice, but I don't have a radio voice. I got my voice. How would you like it if I talk like this? That was Lucky Scars. No? No. I don't like it either. All right, what do I got to do? Recapping. Okay, recap the fact that I have this fetchclass.com, teach and be taught. Go there, fetchclass.com, learn all about it. You can just go there, it's really easy to use. It's free, it's free to use. Also, my Amazon affiliate program, which is at the Apolog landing page at apolog.ca. On the right side, there's a banner you can click on and it'll take you to Amazon. Just make sure you bookmark that Amazon link and go back to it every time you want to shop on Amazon. If you want to shop with the big dirty devil, go shop there, okay? All right, okay. <laughs> yeah. I also want to let you know about my Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash apolog and pledge as little or as much as you want. You would be helping the show out tremendously. And you get a free you get something free out of it. Every time you so whoever pledges, you get my whole discography. Every song ever recorded in this band Foursquare. That's over 50 songs. For four bucks a month, hey! That's what I call a deal, y'all. Okay, also I forgot to mention that you can go to Facebook and like the show on Facebook. Uh, Just search it out. Also, my Twitter is at SimonHead666. You can follow me. I'll follow you. Uh, What else is happening? I think that's about it for now. Next week, I think I have Mr. Darren Pfeiffer coming up. And he's fun. We do podcasts in the car. One of the rare podcasts in the car. So everybody, thanks so much for coming out each and every week. Thank you for supporting the show. I will be here next week. Bye.